G'day, g'day, and welcome back to another episode of The Experience with your host, Bradley J. Driver. Pleasure to be here back in the HQ. We're making a habit of this. Face-to-face is in the HQ in the studio in the new home of The Experience. I love to see it. Coffee's in hand. If you're watching this, you'll see one of the best brews in town made by the man himself, the king, none other than Jonah at Lee and Me. And I'm sipping away. Really excited for today's episode because it's not often you get somebody with a story like this who, well, lives to tell it, but also is, you know, kind enough to come and share and allow people to learn from their experiences. And, you know, it's a topic, a topic that we haven't really ever discussed before on the podcast. And I kind of want to roll this guy in with an intro that's deserving, deserving of a feat I guess the challenge overcome, so much conquered to be sitting here right now sharing his story. So let me roll it from the top and see how we go, a bit of freestyle here. So I guess if you've ever in your life faced death or even the idea of it, you'd know that it shifts perspective, it changes your mind, it changes the way that you then go on to live your life because funnily enough and quite ironically, the closer you are to death, probably the more alive you feel that feeling of the end being near or potentially so and understanding that from that point on every moment you get is like a second chance that every moment that was lived shouldn't have been and your hope was not taken for granted regret regrets I guess scanned back on maybe maybe easily forgotten maybe causing a little pain but one thing's for sure it's if you get an opportunity to walk away from that if you face death and you look at dead in the eyes and get to take another breath and live another day, I'm sure life changes forever. And for today's guest, that has definitely been the case. So ladies and gentlemen, from your home, your car, or wherever you are, this man is a shark survivor, and today he's here to share it on the experience. Ladies and gentlemen, give a very warm welcome to Brett, shark boy, Canellan. How are you, brother? Yeah, good, mate. That's a, a great intro. I think I might have to steal a few few of those lines. Mate, it's funny. The intros always come freestyle, and I've, I've tried to script them before, but it just doesn't feel right. Yeah. No, I feel definitely. like you just, just roll with what's sitting on the mind. And, you know, I, I was blessed to come across your story and coming across your story more recently in the last, like, month or two, just before I reached out to you. I remember. I remember three years ago, seeing it on the news, hearing, you know, we, we both live in the Illawarra, um, Brett's down in Kiama, or was at the time anyways, and I'm up here in the gong and, you know, 20 or so minutes away, but I tell you what, it felt like I was there in the moment, just hearing the news, hearing so many people talking about it. It's that, I guess that thing in the back of everyone's mind, the minute you step in the ocean, it was without doubt my greatest fear as a child at, at North Gong Nippers was sharks, you know, the great white sharks. Whilst so fascinating, I think they're so fascinating because they're so terrifying, it it really makes you understand that you're in their playground, you're lucky to come out of the ocean every day, and whilst we don't see many sharks, whilst we don't definitely don't have that many attacks as a whole here in Australia or, or around the world, um, when you do when you do you definitely bloody hear about it i'll tell you that and yeah i heard about yours and i heard your story um on on a more i guess a more in-depth and and a really nice evaluator way by yourself where you spoke about all of those events and the attack and how it all happened and made it's a it's a privilege to have you here 
No, thanks. I think um, what you said there at the start, it's, that's one thing that gets me a lot with where people can remember, you know, when they found out about it. Yeah. Like uh, still to this day, like it, it's, it's something that always plays in my mind how people can remember that. To have that impact where people know, you know, where your story kind of starts is pretty incredible and not only that but how fast word can kind of spread <laughs> like, yeah obviously on on the news and stuff like that but i remember hearing about my mate that was living in the uk at the time and it was it was yeah. like in the newspapers and that over there but he actually found out about it before my parents did like that's how quick word can You're spread like, yeah so some someone that was there on the beach just didn't know who to call knew that i was friends with him and, and just called him so he actually got the phone call before my mum and dad did, which which is wow. pretty wild to think of. But yeah, I think still still to this day when I talk to people and they say, you know, I know where I was or I can remember that that news bulletin or whatever it was when when you got bitten was something I'll, I'll never forget. And that's for me, I think, is a pretty incredible impact to have on some people in their memory. Definitely, definitely. You know, it's it's kind of like I said in the intro there. Some people go their whole life and they never face the idea or death itself until it's their time. And I I always say it's one thing that I've referred to a little bit on the podcast and it's that there's two ways that I think you die. The first way is it either happens out of the blue and you didn't know and you couldn't expect it or for some people death comes slowly and it comes with anticipation and understanding and it really gives you time in those instances to reevaluate the life that you've lived, to leave you know, your family and your friends and the people around you with those words. I want to flash forward to, or flash back, I should say, <laughs> to the, the day that you were attacked. I want you to run us through that day, but just quickly talk to me about, in the heat of the moment, did you know that it was potentially going to be over? Do you face that idea, that, that challenge in your head? definitely um i think the like you said with these things that come out of the blue especially when you know it's it's death and you're like you're you're faced with that finality yeah it's not something that everyone experiences like you said you've got those two ways of experiencing it with the build-up sort of where you can expect it or see it coming i think you you do get that chance to know what your legacy was or you know you know Mm. you, you know about the people that care about you around you but when it comes out of the blue, you don't, especially at a young age, you don't get to, to do any of that. Definitely. And I think for, for me, definitely there, there was that thought of, you know, fuck, is, is this what it feels like to die? It was, it was when I was dragged up the beach and Joel, my mate that actually pulled me in, he, he ran off to go and get help and I was just laying there by myself trying to reflect on what had just happened. Um, and yeah, just sort of thinking and I was like, you know, I'm not serious. Yeah. But is this, you know, what that, that feeling is like? And that's profound. Like I said, it's not a feeling that many people get. But for, for me, the more interesting part was the immediate thought I had straight after that that just said, you know, it doesn't feel right, which I think is... That's I, powerful. It is. And I, I have no idea why that was the thought I had. Like, I have no right to. Like, I didn't know how close I was to death at that time. Um but just to, to know that you're, you know, it doesn't feel right is a weird, weird way to feel because then it's like, okay, well, now what? You just focus on what's in your control and kind of let everything happen. So can I ask, when you say it doesn't feel right, do you mean that it didn't feel like your time? Yeah, yeah, in, in a weird, weird way. Um, 
I, I can't really describe how it actually felt to me, like how yeah. it, it wasn't right, it wasn't my time, but I was just taking in sort of how I was feeling in that moment, like knowing I'd lost a bunch of blood. I never looked down at my leg because I didn't want to go into shock, but just knowing how serious it was, knowing like the panic when I was looking at Joel as he's, you know, pulling oh, me in and that. Um, knowing how serious it was, but just, yeah, it was, it was like kind of feeling like, you know, I, I can feel I'm getting short on breath. I can feel I'm getting dizzy. I know this is probably, you know, what the final stages feel like, but there was kind of this wall where I couldn't get through. It's like, you know, what's next? Like mm. if, if I was to, to die in that moment, I, it was a weird thing where I was like, I don't know what is, what comes next after this. Like, can I ask you a question? Really yeah. personal question here. Yeah. In that moment, you said it didn't feel like the right time. It didn't feel like your time. We, did you have enough, I guess, within you whilst fighting that off to sit with that question and go, okay, it doesn't feel like my time, but did you feel cheated or did you feel like it was a life up until this point well lived? Not in the moment. That's not something I think I had until months later or maybe even years later when I really got to appreciate the whole experience and think about yeah. it. Because I think you just said something there. You said appreciate the whole experience. And yeah. I think even that notion is something that people may be sitting behind, you know, the, the telly watching this on YouTube or, or listening on one of the podcast apps and going, appreciate. Yeah. <laughs> How do you appreciate that sort of situation? But yeah. I get where you're coming from because it is so powerful yeah and i think for for me and and that experience i always say to people like it, it definitely you know you can look at it in two ways yeah it was probably the the worst day of my life because of how unlucky that is to happen like you look at the odds being attacked by a shark is you know one in 3.6 million so it's like winning the lottery in the wrong direction yeah but you can look at it in that way and that's a, a negative way of looking at it but it gave me so much more than it took away like, yeah, I lost some of my leg. Uh, I lost a lot of purpose and identity through the start when I was told I could never walk again, could never surf again. And that feeling of loss was probably what stopped me from appreciating it early on. But when I do look back on it, it was probably the best day of my life because of what it actually gave me. Like it, it essentially gave me... I love that. Hey? Yeah, it, it, well, it gave me a, a story to tell, but it gave me a, a new purpose and a new identity. Like I was always Brett the surfer up until that point. Whereas now like... Yeah, I'm, I'm shark boy or whatever it is. But the story, I recognize it's something that can help other people. And not only just doing it through being able to share it through podcasts and, um, and interviews, but just in like my line of work now in, in the mental health space and, and through yeah. keynote speaking where you realize I, I never had the opportunity to have that impact on people's lives before. Um, and that's something that's so much more powerful than anything else that I ever had before. I, I love to hear that, hey. I just think... I talk about it all the time. Like the reason I started this podcast was story is powerful. Like it, yeah. it will change people's life. And some people are blessed with a, some, with a story. Some have to go through some bloody hardships yeah. to have their own and also to have the ability to share it with the world. And I think the, the one thing that I love and, and I'm going to, for everyone listening, we're definitely going to go back and, and go through the attack. Yeah. So don't feel like you're going to miss your piece of the action. <laughs> yeah. um, it's coming. But I just feel like it's so important to touch on the fact that you, you can recognize that because I feel that it either goes one or two ways 
post attack, right? Is you wake up, you know, and, and for everyone listening and watching, you know, we're sat behind that table here today, but, you know, I was greeted when I walked into to the building here today by a bloody fit young lad. Like, you know what I mean? So, like, for you, you've, you know, credit to you because you've done an amazing job of rehabbing yourself and getting yourself back into into great physical and almost, like, conquering shape to be able to go out and, and do what you do. But I just love to hear that you've taken such a life-changing and pivotal moment and turned it into so many great things yeah. because it could have been the opposite. It could have been the catalyst for, you know what, well, I'm never going to walk again. I'm just going to let that be what it will be and, you know, life's tough and life's hard and why me? And yeah. it could have been the reason and, and a really valid reason at for that sure. for <laughs> a, a life's full of excuses and, and could have beens and should have beens and yeah. why didn't I? And, and in the end, just regret. Yeah, well, it's funny you mentioned that because when I was telling someone this yesterday, the, a weird thing that happens when you get bitten by a shark is there's this thing called the bike club, which is a network of people who have been bitten by sharks. It's kind of like a support group. The bite club. Yeah, so um, they've also got something called Beyond the Bite, which is for the family members. But what it is... There's a niche for everything, ladies and gentlemen. I know, I know, yeah. <laughs> So what, what they do is they, they'll pair you up with someone else who's, who's been through a similar mm. experience and it, the idea is to get you talking so you know, you're not internalizing all of it and it's to connect as well and get everyone to realize that you know, for, for a situation that is really unlucky, you know, there are other people out there that are going through it because the isolation is one of the things that can really affect you, especially early on. Like I know... Without doubt. For, yeah, for me, it was isolation, not only in thinking, yeah, that's what I'm going through. I mentioned the statistics, like being statistically isolated, but also in hospital in those early days, like at nighttime when you're sitting there by yourself, for me, first month or so was just those those thoughts of never going to be able to walk again. You know, I can't believe this has happened to me. And, you know, if I'm never going to surf again, you know, what's, what's the point in, like, where's my purpose and my identity lie now? Like surfing was your out. identity wasn't it it was all i had like from the age of 11 when i stepped on a surfboard that's all i wanted to do like yeah. for for someone who built their entire life around that like not only just through doing it competitively and at the time i, I did get bitten was uh i was training to try and qualify for the world tour that year so not only was that the dream sort of taken away from me but my jobs were in surfing my friendships were in surfing that was you know the one thing i did to make me feel better on a bad day. So having all that taken away from me, yeah, I felt super alone in, in what I was going through. But the bike club, I suppose, is a good service where you can start to talk to someone and, and they pair you with another person. The person I got paired with was the opposite where they were pretty negative, like pretty, yeah. um, like they, they didn't really want to talk about it. Um, he has gotten back in the water now, which is good to see. Um, but I remember like the, seeing his outlook and being like, I don't want to be like that. Because for me, I was like, I could see those things in me. And I was like, as someone who's hearing this, it doesn't sound like the person I want to be. So you think it was almost positive for you to have someone that was completely opposite? In, in a way. And like mainly just for the perspective, it's not to say that, you know, you need to look at people worse off to feel better about yourself yeah. and your situation. But it was that catalyst to get me to realize that, yeah, it's, you know, it is a bad situation, but rather than be defined by what happened to me, I always wanted to be defined by what I did next. And that's really the way that you, you'll be remembered. And when you talk about 
resilience as being you know a pretty key thing in my story resilience is a it's not about what happens to you it's about the way in which you bounce back from it and that's I love that that's that was the biggest thing for for me then and there i was like all right from from here on whether it's working in the gym working on myself what i do later in life it's to to show that that's the person i am like yeah i'm i'm shark boy as it says on my instagram bio but that's that's what happened to me that's not who i am can i ask how long into the recovery process was that realization um it was probably about four or five weeks in okay so so, so fresh yeah yeah so still still pretty fresh um th- those times when i was really negative and really down on myself it, it wasn't a long time in the grand grand scheme of things but the days felt long then like the what felt like a day in hospital felt like a month in real life mm. and i felt like i was kind of trapped in this thing that i didn't i didn't you know wish upon myself something that i felt stuck in and because of that it felt a lot longer like it was only yeah sort of four weeks but it felt like it was a large chunk of my life and i think that's another thing that helps me appreciate it because you know i, I look back and i'm like oh, that could have been my life like that i could have been that person for forever and that that wouldn't have served me well like i wouldn't be sitting here today i wouldn't be doing the job i do i wouldn't yeah that, you know, it's interesting. I feel like I can really connect with you on that. Yeah. You know, I've not been attacked by a shark, nor am I part <laughs> of the bike club. But, you know, in, in my world, in my life, with my cystic fibrosis, you know, I was, I was really blessed because I was born healthy enough to have a chance. And not a lot of people with my condition are. And, you know, it's kind of rocky roads from the get-go. And whilst it's taken a lot of work and there's been a lot of ups and downs and hurdles in my journey... When I, you know, you're probably sick of hearing it, but, you know, if you listen to the podcast, you know that we ran a marathon last year for CF Australia. And for me, that was the best day of my life and a really pivotal moment in my life. But I remember being out there and being in immense pain, five, six Ks to go. And I had a mate beside me, um, shout out to Woodsy, Mitch Woods, who had his hand on my back and I was in, I was in Struggle Street and coming into the last couple Ks, I had just my crew around me, some amazing supportive people, almost where the active boys run club. Um, so similar to that of the bike club where it's a group that bands together. And and Woodsy just kept saying a few words to me and he kept saying, we actually got one of it on video one time, which was really lucky. And he said, just think about all the kids in hospital that'll be seeing this yeah. and that'll be inspired to know that their life has no limits, that they can go and do and achieve these things and that, a guy who's been through what they're going through now yeah, has come strange. out the other side and he's able to conquer this and achieve this. And, and you know, I think whether it's a shark attack, you know, like I said, I connect with you, you talking about that. I think that perspective and the ability to understand the power that can have not only in your own life, but in other people's life, yeah. I think that's just so widespread yeah, and sure. it's so underappreciated and so undervalued. And I think you know, whilst we said the blockbuster part of your story is talking about that attack, it's, it was part of the focus for me here today is to share this part because, you know, that's the one thing and the one reason why I try to focus on these type of stories on the podcast is everybody, it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're sitting now in your cosy office or whether you're at home tucked in bed listening to this podcast, like at some point in your life, you'll face adversity. Yeah. It, it's without doubt. And some people's adversity is... On the, on the big scale and perspective of things, much smaller, but it may feel like a massive challenge in your life. And, you know, you can come through the other side of it. That's part of these stories. And 
it's why they're powerful to hear. But I want to go back and let's let's track back to the day. Yeah. The Normal day. day. Any weird feelings? Any, um, I guess, weird notions paddling out into the water on that. Was it an afternoon? It was an afternoon, so it actually wasn't a normal day. Um, the day started at 2 a.m. I got a call from my boss at the surf shop saying, "Surprise! Shop, surprise!" Shop had been broken into. So, oh, wow. that was that was my day. I was actually dealing with that. The reason I surfed that afternoon was to try and wash off the day that I just had. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just, uh, but other than that, like pretty pretty regular afternoon. I called my mate Joel on the way home, told him a little bit about what happened with the shop break in, and was like, "Yeah, I'm just going to go for a surf out Bombo." Um, and he was like yeah cool I'll, I'll come down and um funny thing about joel like he he's like one of my best mates like i've known him for a long time live with him like spend a lot of time with him he's, he's such a good dude but he's the type of person you'll call to do something and he'll just either not show up at all or he'll show up late or like he's he's always doing something else that'll sidetrack him dano campbell <laughs> mate that is you to a t one of my best mates exactly the yeah, same yeah, everyone everyone's got one of those mates so this this is my mate that i called on on the day where i needed someone to, to look over me um i just told him i was going out bombo i was i ended up paddling out and just surfing by myself away from everyone everyone was kind of sitting right up the northern end of the, the beach and i just sat down a little bit Ways are a bit better there, but I just wanted to kind of be on my own a little bit and try yeah. and process that, that day I just had. So I was surfing by myself for like 40 minutes. Um, waves are actually really fun. And Joel ended up paddling out after yeah, like 45 minutes or so. Um, and we were just sharing waves for a while. Uh, it was actually a really fun surf. Like, and the, this is a big thing where I relate you know, how important surfing was to me. Like I'd had a shit day, but I'd been able to go home, been able mm. to, to go and get in the water, been able to surf, chat to a mate, tell him about what I've been through. And like by the end of it, it was feeling pretty good. Um, it was actually the thought that I was having as it, it all happened because Joel had caught a wave. He was about 100 meters down the beach. Yep. Um, and I was just sitting out the back kind of reflecting, just being like, yeah, bad day, been able to come for a surf. You're at deep. So yeah, probably like, I don't know, a good... 200 meters off the beach just kind of yeah, yeah right out right out the back um but i was just sitting there looking back at the sunset um just being like you know it's it's, it's not that bad like it's it's been an average day but you know life's still good and it was as i was having that thought i was just sitting there like minding my own business and got hit from my right side and like that was powerful like it felt like i'd been hit by a bus i'd been thrown off my board and when Do you I see anything or didn't see pure anything at the start yeah just was trying to figure out what had happened looking around and as i was trying to look around that's when it, it grabbed my left leg um and that moment for me it was that that first feeling of where it, it kind of hits you and you're like Fuck. you know what is happening like it's yeah. it, it's powerful but for i think the first real thought i had that i can remember was i can't believe it's happened here like at my local beach somewhere I'd, I'd grown up surfing weird so I, first thought but valid weird first thought like I, I know but like I've spent a lot of time surfing you know down in South Australia other places where people would consider it like sharky yeah and for it to happen in Kiama like I was the first person in I think 68 years to be bitten by a shark in the Illawarra so Far out. like the, the chances of it happening there are, are pretty ridiculous but man as soon as I had that thought it was like everything just slowed down and stopped like I could take in so much that was going on in that moment like trying to push a shark away I could feel what its skin was like mm, explain that feeling 
it's just rough. Like it's like pushing away sandpaper almost. Really? <laughs> yeah. So they got really rough. Cause they've got quite skin. a smooth looking yeah. skin, don't they? Yeah. yeah. But it was, it was kind of, yeah, really rough. Um, which was, which was bizarre. Like I didn't really take that in, in the moment. It's just something I can remember from mm. back there. Um, even like just looking at the shark in the eyes, cause it's, it's like latched onto my leg and I was looking down at it. A lot of people will say, yeah, why didn't you punch it? And realize that it's impossible to punch through water. <laughs> <laughs> when you're like, a kid in the pool and you're yeah, trying to yeah. punch through water. It's, yeah. it's impossible. So I like, I tried once it wasn't working. So I was just trying to like push it away. Now we're talking great white shark. Great white shark is what it was classified as. Um, it was a bull shark, and I'll explain why in a second. Um, yeah, that yeah, yeah. doesn't get much better either way, does it? <laughs> no, no, it's, it it's, doesn't get. It's, it's you you hear that he goes, "Great white shark," classified as, and you're thinking, "Oh, he goes, oh, it was just a reefy. No, it's yeah, still yeah. a bull shark. Yeah, still a bull shark. Probably worse, actually. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, like I can even remember the look it had in its eyes as I was. Like in my mind, I'm thinking like, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. Um, but just the look in its eyes is, is just like no emotion there. Like one thing that I can appreciate about sharks is they're really, really good at what they do. It's just mm. bad that I was in that position to appreciate it that way. Like yeah. it, they're just, they're really good at, at finding things to eat and, and killing them and eating them. Like that's, that's how they've been around for millions of years. That, that's why they're such effective like apex predators. Is it pulling? Because I know that a lot of people, from stuff I've read before and like Shark Week on Discovery and whatnot, they say that when something tries to pull away or move, that is where a lot of the damage is done because it's clenched on so tight. Yeah. But was it pulling? Was it vicious? Or was it just... It, it was kind of throwing me around a little bit, but the what did the damage was, was me pulling away. Yeah. Um, so like fight, flight or freeze... I chose flight and tried to get away from it. So I pulled away from the shark and that's what did all the damage. Yeah, as you said, like it's unfortunate as human beings, we're super fragile. And if a shark yeah. has a hold of your leg, as you said, it holds onto the flesh that it's grabbing and just pulls it straight away. So I suppose the good thing about that though, is I wasn't being bitten anymore. So I could try and like swim yeah. to the beach, put my head down and just started swimming it as, as hard as I could. Like I said, I didn't want to look down early on cause I was like, not going to deal with that now um swam as hard as i could to the beach i was only like 15 meters in and i had a thought kind of come over me which i was like is it going to come back a second time and it was lucky i had that thought because i turned around and, and actually saw it just in time as it was coming back and was able to put my hands out um my right hand landed on its on its nose my left hand actually fell into its mouth and lost a bit of skin off my hand yeah there. um and that's another reason why I know it was a bull shark, not a great white, because I could fit two hands on its nose and because it came back a second time. Okay. Um, not characteristic to great whites. Um, so you've done your research on this, obviously, post. And well, they, when I was in hospital, they asked, they said, we've classified it as a great white. If it was anything else, let us know because we can go and, and hunt it. And I was like, what's the point in hunting it? Like, I, I've got nothing against sharks. Like, I've got nothing against them. I don't want shark culling. I don't want any of that. So I was like, yeah, it was a great white because they're protected. They can't hunt them. Okay. So that, Smart man. Yeah. So I was like... Even yeah. in the most challenging of times, so <laughs> compassionate. Yeah. I'd like to think so. Um, so yeah, I, I was... The second time I came back, put my hands out, lost some skin off my left hand, but it just pushed me through the water for a good 10 meters or so and feeling the power it had as it pushed me through the water was pretty incredible like mm. another thing i can appreciate in their species 
but it pushed me through the water until the next wave kind of hit us and then it separated us and at that point I was standing up it was about waist deep in the water and I look up and saw like the 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 best sight you can see in that moment which is Joel like paddling towards me as hard as he can and I'm like I knew I called him for a reason today <laughs> today <laughs> like for I've always said like if you saw something serious like that in the ocean you would hope that that's your reaction you never know Mate, like, it I'd, takes I'd, courage. 100% like I'd hope that would be my reaction but you, you never know and for him to see like hear me kind of shouting for help know what was going on and to paddle towards that danger like you can only hope you do that like mm. that is one of the most courageous things I've heard of experienced known of anyone that I've yeah. associated with that's done and he, he does deserve a lot of credit for that um, but by the time he got to me like he he knew what had happened and he just said like how bad is it yeah. and I was like it's not good because I still hadn't looked down yet and I just said it's not good we've got to go in so he had to put me on his board because I lost mine. I love it. We've got to go in. No. Yeah. No, we, we need to get a Oh, so not great. You want to yeah. get another one in though? Catch one in? Yeah. Um, so he had to put me on his board and take me in because I lost mine in like the initial impact. Um, it took a while for us to get in. We got stuck in a rip. I was no use because I couldn't move my arms. Yeah. Um, like I was starting to lose a lot of blood and go into shock. So by the time we actually got to the beach, he had to physically drag me because I, I just was just a body at that stage um and then he dragged me up up the beach and ran off to get help and that's where i suppose it takes us back to what we we're talking about before that's where i had that thought of thinking about how serious it was and wondering if it was what it was like to die so i was really really lucky after i had that thought of you know is this what it's like to die and then feeling like it wasn't right i think that was the best thing i could have had because i was like, all right what can i do i was like all i can try and do is just focus on my breathing try and stay present probably saved your life definitely um i didn't like i said i didn't know how close i was to death in that moment which is a weird thing to experience but like my mum and dad got down to the beach before i was taken away in um in the helicopter and my dad he's worked in emergency services his entire life and he's seen critical incidents and that and he ended up telling me later on that i went that color that people go like right before they die mm which is you know, traumatic for him to experience, but I just, I didn't know how close I was. Um, I was lucky that the, the first two people that came and applied my first aid, so Joel actually brought his girlfriend Aggie down to the beach that day, something he okay. never does, and she's an intensive care nurse. And there was one other person walking along the beach that afternoon who was also a nurse. So the first two people to get there. Just the best care team. 100%. So from being like the, the most unlucky I've ever been to how lucky I was after that, kept me alive. And yeah, eventually I got taken to the hospital in the helicopter where I woke up and kind of had to deal with, with the recovery. So hey, that's, it's, it's incredible. And it's, it's honestly, it's hard to imagine because we see it and we hear it in movies and and I remember, um, I can't remember the name of the movie, Soul Surfer. Yeah. Bethany Hamilton, I'm watching that movie and I, me- I remember watching that young and I was so emotional because I just thought the way that she responded to it was incredible. And yeah. you've been exactly the same. Yeah. I can't commend you enough for that because I think, you know, like you said before, like you'd like to think you'd be the kind of guy that would paddle towards the danger. You don't know. I'd like to think that if placed in your circumstances or situation that yeah. I'd respond similar to the way that you've done. And I just think it's, it's so incredible of you to, to have that mindset. And even the, 
probably the naivety of the situation and like you said you not knowing how close to death you were being able to control and slow your breathing all things that ultimately played a part in saving your life and you saving your own life to a degree it's funny you mentioned soul surfer as well i can probably credit a bit of that to bethany hamilton as well because i remember her saying in that that she didn't look at her arm when she got bitten for the same reasons and that's not something i thought about actively in the moment but I kind of, as we had already had a plan in my head, just as being a surfer, as being someone who spends a lot of time in the ocean, I'm like, okay, if I got bitten by a shark, what would you do? Yeah. Not thinking it was ever going to happen, but being like, okay, you got to try and stay as calm as possible. And, and that was one of the things I remember where when it happened, I was like, at least I'm kind of prepared for it, <laughs> yeah. like in, in a way. But yeah, soul surfer, it's funny you bring that up. I think that's, that's probably one of the things that saved my life. Amazing. Yeah. Let's talk about... You know, I, I don't want to dive too much into your rehab because I know that's something you've discussed on a few other podcasts and probably felt long and mundane in many ways to yourself with yeah. some exciting moments along the way. And I know that you jumped straight back into rehab. So you're faced with the, the potential reality of not being able to walk again. If you can't walk again, there's very, very slim chance you'll ever be on a surfboard again. Yeah. And... Obviously, like you said at the time, surfing was like your identity. It's who you were. It's everything you were about. It was your future career goals and hopes and dreams. It was, you know, the way to wash away a bad day at work or a bad day within your life or your week. And, you know, you've come back, you rehab. They took part of you or they took one of your lats. Yeah. So the operation they did, they'd only ever done it once before Um, because they gave me two options. It was either amputate or we try this thing we've only done once before and we'll see how it works. Was amputate ever an option? Yeah, yeah. In your head? Well, in my head, um, I was pretty out of it. Like mum was the person that was making the calls in in hospital because just like full of painkillers and I kind of, yeah, just stepped away from that process. Like I would have been consulted um, if that were the case, but... Yeah, amputation, I was in the mindset, I've always been like this, I'm like, they're the professionals, I'll let them do their job. If they think that's the, the right option, then yeah. like I have to be okay with it. And they're never going to take a leg for the sake of taking a leg, are yeah, they? Yeah, like... exactly. And like I, I've always said, I would hope my mindset would still be the same now if I did end up losing the leg. It's, yeah. It is hard to say that though. Like, I, I look at a lot of people who, you know, who are amputees and who are incredible, incredible people who, you know, they've, they've found that same sort of drive to get through a recovery and, and get back their, their life and, and livelihood. And I, I, th- I would hope that I would be the same. It's, it's so hard to say, though. Yeah, it is, isn't it? It's really tough. It's really tough to, like you said, it's that you'd hope you'd have that, that same mental capacity to yeah. deal with that situation. Because once again, that, that makes everything so much harder. Yeah. Even even psychologically. Yeah, and that I think the biggest thing psychologically would be throwing away from like the knee down, which was perfectly good leg. Like if yeah. that amputates, it'd be basically on the hip. Yeah. Um, which that's like the higher you amputate, the harder it is to have a way of life. But uh, yeah, I think psychologically it would have been a lot harder. So like I'm very very grateful that they went with the option that they did. Again, like you you can only say what if. For, for the other yeah. things but what they ended up doing they took my left lat muscle from my back and implanted that in my leg so I lost three quarters of my left quad um, as a result mm-hmm. of pulling away from the shark um, and that left a, a huge amount of exposed bone so the lat basically just covered the bone to keep that alive 
Okay. So they wouldn't have to amputate it. Okay. Um, they never really had ambitions of that being a working muscle, but they were like, it'll, it'll mean that you get to keep your leg. Um, then they took a bunch of skin from like my calf, my hamstring and my hip, and then just kind of bound it all together. Modern that, medicine and I know, surgery, it's incredible high. Yeah, it's, it's crazy what modern medicine can do, but it's also crazy what the body can do to adapt to something like that. Something it's built to last, yeah, isn't it? it like, is. well, like you said before, we are fragile, yeah. but you know, there's a reason that we, we live 80 to 100 years, you yeah. know, like the body knows how to adapt and, and change where it needs to and incredible machine. Yeah, definitely. So like with that operation, that I think it was like an eight hour operation just to do all that. Um, they connect a blood supply through that muscle, they connect a nerve and they're like, yeah, it might work in the future, might not, but they're like, prognosis, probably won't walk properly. If you do, you'll have a device that straightens out your leg as you move forward. Yeah. It's kind of what your quad does is straighten your leg out. Um, like being active, playing sports and that, just forget about it and surfing because of all that is going to be yeah pretty yeah. much off limits. So leaving hospital, like you don't leave with a ton of confidence. No, like, I can I, imagine. Like hospital, that whole system and the way it works is something that I saw with the people around me while I were in there, it's not conducive to a good recovery. Like mm. modern medicine's awesome what they can do, but... I think the fact that they have to give you the worst case scenarios is such a, a limiting thing for a lot of people. Like for uh, the, I suppose the, the ward that I was in, a lot of the people I was spending time with were all sort of stroke, people who'd had strokes or, or other injuries like that. A lot of them were older people. And what they say to them is like, yeah, because you're old, like it's gonna be pretty hard for you to make a full recovery. So just, you know, be happy that you're alive. And, and that's pretty much it. It's not like, okay, we're going to get you back walking. We're going to get you back a quality of life. You're going to be able to enjoy the same things again. Like, I didn't get that very much. Like, I was... that. What The most positive thing that I had was you're young and you might be able to make a good recovery. Like, that. that's all. Like, and It's very pessimistic, isn't so it? So pessimistic. And, like, when you hear all that, it's like, well, what's... You know, it's hard to motivate yourself from there. It's like, it is. I'm, I'm not sure sort of what messages you've been told throughout your sort of medical journey throughout your life but i'm sure it wasn't positive like you're going to live a full life be active you're going to run a marathon like i was just thinking about that then so you most of the listeners of the podcast know that you know early on in my life my first ever doctor's appointment he told my the specialist appointment that is he told my parents look your son would be better off with a terminal illness because that would kill him or he'd get over it this is going to ruin his life yeah and i was lucky that I was, you know, a baby at that point in time and my parents had the courage to get up and walk out of that room and go find someone else who had the the positive and the optimistic outlook for my life that they shared. And Dr. John Morton was part of the reason that I am the way I am today and we were just blessed to find someone like that. And I often wonder, you know, and the reason I'd done the marathon was because I thought it's probably a kid in a hospital bed somewhere who doesn't have the parents that I did or is maybe young enough to understand the words that those doctors said but no one to filter that or or change that perspective or help them shift that perspective because when you're young whilst you're resilient you also you know everything that's said to you is gospel somebody says something to you you believe it and then you embody it and and I was just blessed that growing up it was Oh, mum and dad, I want to be the next Brad Fittler. Well, then you'll be the next Brad Fittler. And then it was, well, I want to be the next Usain Bolt. Well, then you'll be Bolt. Like, <laughs> yeah. that was just my life growing up. And I think 
you know, it's it's a blessing that at your age, you had the foresight to to make that decision for yourself, but also was able to to take what they said with a grain of salt and, and make your own assumptions. Well, it's like I I believed what they said at the start. Um, like for for me, I was my thought was like probably be in a wheelchair for a very long time. Yeah. Like that's kind of what I thought was, you know, my, my sort of limit. I was happy to be alive. Like, don't get me wrong. Like when, yeah, when you almost lose your life, you, you do appreciate the, the little things. And for me, I was like, I got to a point where I was like, okay, surfing, yes, it was my purpose. It was my identity. It's everything I did, but I could be dead right now. And yeah. everything else doesn't really matter as much when you almost lose everything. Yeah. Um, so for, for me, I think... I, I did believe what they said for a very long time. The person that shifted my um, perspective on everything was my physio. Like the first time I went in and saw Scott, my physio, uh, he, he... Give a shout out to Scotty. What's Scott Martin from, from Baymed down in Kyoma. He's, he, he's someone I, I attribute massively to me being able to get to where I am today. So the first time I went and saw him, he wheeled over a whiteboard and he's like, we're going to set some goals for the next couple of months. And I was like, cool. Kind of have an idea what goal setting is about. Not, not massively sure what we're going to put down here. Like maybe, you know, start to bend my knee a little bit more, whatever it is. The first thing he goes, I'll set the first one. I'll put surfing up there. And I was like... I love that. Oh, can I ask, yeah. can I interject there? How did you feel when you put that on the board? Because I don't know whether you'd already made the decision that you were going to get back in the water or not. I, I didn't believe it when he, when he wrote it up there. Like I, I was thinking in my head, have you not talked to the doctors? Like have you not... Yeah. Getting, got an idea of what I'm you know, about to go through with this recovery. But I was like, it's the first time I've met the guy. I'll be polite. I won't argue. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you're thinking yeah. it's definitely his first shark attack, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> well, yeah, 100%. I think any physio you talk to will be their first shark attack. But he, he had that one as a top one. But then bef- like, before even really getting input, he's like, oh, we'll, we'll have to get you back to work so you can get your livelihood back. And I was like, fair enough. Like, I'm going to need that at some point in the future. Yeah. And then the third one he put, he's like, we're going to have to get you back in the car so you can gain your independence. Like the, the, the bottom two were like, you need that just to survive, to get along in life. Yeah. You need a job. You need to be independent. Yeah. Um, and we just worked at those goals over the next couple of months. Surfing was always there. And I was like, I just want to get in the car. And then when I got in the car after a couple of months, I was like, I just want to kind of get back to work. I want to get back on my feet. Like at, at the time, like I was making improvements and, thoughts were coming back into my head of yeah maybe i will be able to get back on a board like i don't know what it's going to be like but the i think i was i was always a bit afraid of being able to actually achieve that goal because i was afraid of what surfing would actually look like for me yeah like especially I, when you had such an elite perspective yeah, of it before definitely and like for for me i was like what's surfing actually going to mean to me am, am i going to enjoy it if i'm not at the level i was before you know, am, am I going to be able to do basic things on a surfboard? I think the biggest thing that got me was just the fear of failing at it. Like, I've always been able to stand on a surfboard. Like, the very first time I jumped on a surfboard, I got up. And it's always been something that's come naturally to me. And I was so afraid when I was looking at that goal of surfing that I was going to fail at it. Because yeah. it's something that had come so easy to me. But there was a conversation I had with Owen Wright, um, who is on the world tour. He had a, a head injury at the same time that I was going through my thing and I ran into him in Kaima one day. His injury meant that he couldn't do, like he basically lost the ability to surf. Like he could hardly lay on a board and paddle it and he was like number three in the world at the time of his injury. Yeah, wow. Um, he eventually recovered from that. But what he told me was 
you can't compare yourself to the person that you were when injury happened. Just compare yourself to the person you were yesterday. And if you did everything you can to be better than that person today, then, then you're on the right track. So just breaking it I down love that. like that. Yeah, that for me, like, I was like, okay, cool. Well, I might not be able to get back and surf the same as I did the first time I jumped on the surfboard. But, you know, if I start from scratch and kind of learn it all again, that'd be kind of exciting, I suppose. Like, and you love it. And yeah. And that's the thing. Like, I can, I can get back in the water. I can get back to where my friends are. So for me, breaking it down like that, having Scott have the belief in me where I could get back to that point and then also those few things I learned along the way were massive in, in being able to get me through that recovery. Like like you said, recovery, it, it can be a pretty long and monotonous thing, but like you've got your days where, that are awesome where you'll go and make progress. Mm. But then you've got your days where you'll fail at a few things and, and it feels like you take like 20 steps back and they hit you massively. Like of at course. the start, like the every time I'd have those bad days, it felt like I was back in the hospital. Like, and I'd have the thoughts from hospital of like, what are you bothering? Like, you've been told you can't walk, you can't do all this other thing. But a big part of that was I hadn't yet acknowledged that I didn't have the tools to work through it. Like, I didn't necessarily have the support network that I thought to get me through it because I hadn't needed it in that way before. Yeah. And also with, you know, surfing was the one thing I did to make me feel good on those bad days. That taken away, I didn't have anything like that. So I needed to kind of rebuild those things to get me through those bad days to keep me on track with that recovery. Yeah. What did that look like? That looked like for for me, like with the support, I'll start with the support networks because that started as a conversation I had with my dad who was like, we need to, um, well, he didn't didn't force me into it by any means, but he, he just gave me a bit of perspective on what I was going through, how it was impacting the rest of my family big part of it was to realize that I actually wasn't alone in what I was going through, but he, he linked us in with a counselor for our family where we just talked about what we were going through and yeah. being able to start talking about it was a big step for me, but realizing that I actually wasn't alone in what I was going through, it got me to acknowledge the support that I had already received in those early days in hospital. Like I'd had thousands of messages come through my phone, like something I'd never experienced before. Course, it was, a, it yeah. was emotional in the moment, but I couldn't really appreciate it until I realized, because a big thing I had was like, you'd get a message come into your phone. It's like, man, heard what happened. Um, hope you're doing well. I hope you get better and, and can get through this. And my immediate thoughts were like, you haven't been through what I'm, I'm going through. Like you haven't been attacked by a shark. Like who are you to say that things will be good and you'll get through it? Mm. Which is a toxic way of thinking. And, and like, I, I think but it's it, understandable, isn't it? Yeah, like, I think it's, it's understandable. I think that helped me later on appreciate those people that did reach out to yeah. me especially once I got that perspective that I was like, I'm actually not alone in this. Like these people genuinely want me to feel better. And these things that happen in life, like we said earlier, it doesn't have to be a shark attack. It doesn't have to be a medical condition that you diagnose with a young age. Like COVID's probably the best example of something that has changed everyone's life. Came out of the blue, no one saw it coming. Everyone gets impacted by these things in life at some point, as we said earlier. The sooner you can realize that, you realize that well, we're all just the same. Like we're all on the same journey. It's just our experiences are a little bit different. Definitely. Like part of being a human going through everything, it's it's struggling. It's like going through these things because they test you, but it gives you an opportunity to learn or grow or come out the other side of it a better person. And that's once I realized that, I was like, okay, these people, I, I actually want my recovery to be for, for them. Like I want to show them what I can do because they've taken time out of their day to wish me well. And 
in their times of need, I, I'd hope I can do the same or at least be a bit of a beacon where if they're struggling, they can remember back to that message they sent me and then what they saw me do as well. Yeah. Through it. It's that whole being defined by what you do afterwards. That's so good. So being able to use the people around me like that was, was a big part of, of using that support and just making sure I was actually talking to them and engaging. But then with like the, the coping strategy side of things, it was starting small and kind of building from there because I couldn't yep. go out and you know go to the gym or go running or something like that, which is probably what I would have chosen anyway as an alternative to surfing. Started simple, like just going outside in the sun. Sunlight's awesome, but like... I, I Something about the vitamin D, hey? Well, it's, it is. It's a, a research-backed coping strategy. Like, it, it will improve your mental health. Did you know they used to... Just to interject there, they used to do that in hospitals back in the day. Yeah. They'd will patients out to the sun. Yeah. It, that was the first thing I did that I did for myself when I was in, in hospital. Yeah. Where I was like, this is in my control and I can actually do it. And that kind of kick-started me back on the road of being like, all right, what else can I do here? Yep. Um, when I got out of hospital, it kind of built a bit organically. It was like, all right, I could take my dog for a bit of a walk, spend time with, with my friends, spend time with family, go for coffee. I can, you know, when I got into the rehab a bit more, it was like being in the gym. Yep. I picked up golf when I was yeah. going through my recovery, which... I've heard you've had a couple of rounds with my cousin, Jared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like... Golf for me was something that it allowed me to take my mind off the recovery. Yeah. Focus on something else. Um, but yeah, having all these other things I built up in place of surfing gave me the tools to be able to work through those bad days a lot better. If I went to the gym, had a, had a bad time there, I could go and play golf or I could go and take the dog for a walk. Mm. So having that range of things I could do was, was massive because when you get left in a place where the one thing that you do, you've been told you can never do again, you, you feel stuck. Definitely stuck, just stuck without a way out. Yeah. So that was me trying to learn how to how to work out of it, like kind of problem solve in the moment. Yeah. Which, you know, that, that was a, a massive part of my recovery along with all those, those other things that we spoke of. Definitely. I want to flash forward to the moment that I believe I've heard it correctly in a podcast I listened to where you were a guest on that as well. You, you spoke about, I think, being with your physio, Scott, and... He sort of said, mate, I think you'd be right to head out for a surf, yeah. the Savo. Yeah, that was, um, that was at about the five-month mark. Um, I was getting a bit over the whole recovery process because as you go along, the gains get smaller and you're putting in the same amount of effort. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is getting pretty, pretty draining. And I think Scott kind of noticed that and he was like, came, checked in with me. He was like, jump on the ground, see if you can stand up. I tried, failed the first time, tried the second time, did it a little bit better. And then he was like, yeah, I think you're, trying, like, you're ready to go for a surf. And for me, like, I'd always thought that the response to that would be like, yes, it's like euphoria, I can finally do it. But in the moment, I was like, it was almost like terror of a big part of it was that fear of failure kind of coming back. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, being scared to go back in the ocean is, is one one particular part of things. But the biggest thing was that fear of failure, like going to try and not being able to do it. So I called my mate, Nick, who I surf with every day. And he, like, I, I called him up and I just said, Scott said I can go surfing. And he was just, he was excited. He got the euphoria side of things. He was like, how does that? I'll get a longboard. I'll come pick you up. We'll go to Jerome. So I just hung up. And I yeah. was like, well, I rang him basically because I was like starting to freak out a little bit, but he, he just took that worry out of my hands. Yeah picked me up went for a surf like old days hey? yeah that's it and got in the water first first time in five months and 
definitely the best surf of my life like the waves were small they were not great at all but a day I'll, I'll never forget and it's about you know what that represents you get up on your recovery. feet yeah I actually got that tattooed on me that's my first first wave so that's, that's me there so and that's Nick that's so, so good. that that day and that surf meant meant a lot for me talk to me about the next morning because I can imagine like I can imagine that next morning wake up in bed life just feels like it's full of opportunity possibility and it you know it probably feels like the sunniest day and yeah I think I actually haven't thought too much about the next day specifically but I think overall once I realized I could do that I was like well a big part was like well now what like I've ticked off the three goals that I've been working at for the past five months and it's funny when you get to that stage you're like well now what what can I do like I I think at that stage I was like okay this is kind of a bit of a completion of of my story like that's that's the recovery right being able to get back and surf yeah and I was like that's that's cool like that I'm, I'm happy to be able to do that but I was like what else can I do because when you've been working at something for so long if you if you go from that to working on nothing it's like well, now what? <laughs> now, now what yeah so I was like I was trying to think of things I could do and that's where I was kind of evaluating my whole story and I was like I want to be able to use this to help other people like properly um, and what can I do to enhance that as well and it's funny that you brought up the the marathon and things like that do you know why it is that when people go through something that you want to manifest that by a physical feat whether it's running a marathon or, or do, doing something like that because I did the exact same thing like my mate came to me and he said have you heard of the Oxfam 100k walk I was like no but let's do it like yeah. and I think for me it was it was like I just want to push myself through that because I've been through the biggest thing that I've ever been through yeah what, what more can can the body do what how how can you battle the mind to try and prove to people that you know if something happens to you you, you can get through it and you can you can push on and do incredible things you know what I think it is if it, for me it's you know, I asked myself why a marathon and, and part of the reason why I chose a marathon was for me, I, I decided to do the event while I was sat. I was laying in a hospital bed. I just had the third bleed in my lungs in three days and it was like 2 a.m. in the morning. And when I was two years of age, my dad and my Uncle Terry and a couple other marathon runners had done 68 kilometres three days in a row for CF. So 212Ks in three days. And I'd posted a photo. We found a funny photo like in Nan's archives of my dad doing a promo shoot a couple of days before the run and he had I don't know why but he had two cans of twoies in his hands <laughs> running with just like two blokes beside him and I was like I said what was that for and he goes I got no idea and I just found it funny so I'd posted it on Instagram and I'd only just started running four weeks before I was never a distance runner I hated distance running and it sort of hit me that it was my time not just to recover for myself but to recover and prove what's possible. And the thing about running or the thing about doing something with the physical body is we all have one and we all have the opportunity. And I think it's, you know, the the realisation for me was that on any given day, if you've got a working body and an able body, you could wake up and decide to run a marathon. But how many people do? And I know I'd thought about it for a long time, but just the fear of failing at it, kind of like you spoke about, was was terrifying because we don't like to fail we don't you know it's not in our it's not in our dna to fail to want to fail we want to succeed we want to win all the time and when i decided a big part in me actually doing it and 
a big part of my success, I think, was firstly just throwing it up on social a couple of days later because yeah. I was like, now I'm accountable to everyone. Sick. I had huge support, and you spoke about that support crew earlier. And I had a coach who was just an acquaintance at the time has become a brother in the process, Benny Seymour. And I just found, I found something crazy. Like for me, I'd, I speak about the moment two weeks before I'd had that bleed in the lungs where I'd run two 5Ks in the space of one week. And I'd never been so sore in my life. I could barely move. And I just thought, how do people run huge distances? But I found myself then doing far more than that and building up week after week. I got longer stronger faster fitter and i just put it down to purpose fueling progress yeah like i think that was my biggest learning from the whole event that when there's an underlying purpose that's so strong that means so much more to a lot of people than it does just to you there's just this this ability to progress like you've never felt or experienced in your life before and and i look back and and i know for me finishing on that day and we spoke about just before the like the battles I cramped at 26 Ks, I was getting a bit delirious at like 40 and I was really struggling that last couple of Ks and a kilometer out, like a couple of my best mates were waiting for me. And I had my dad behind me the whole time, like good crew of mates or 13 of us at Rennet who were all tight and like some other mates on bikes and stuff around me and just getting across that finish line, it's like nothing I've ever experienced. It was yeah. the best day of my life because for me, it was 24 years of hard work that amounted to one moment. And people go, oh, five months of training and five months of prep. And it was. And, oh, you've come so far in running. But for me, it was just like I've come so far in life. Yeah. And I went, I, I cried my eyes out as I gave a five and a half minute speech to everyone <laughs> and got super emotional. We're lucky we had about 100 people in the crowd to, yeah. to welcome us back in. But when I got home and I got in the shower, I just cried myself because I was like, I can't believe I've done that. Like, it felt so powerful. And for me, that's why a big part of why 2020 was the best year of my life is I took control of my circumstances. And for all the challenges, I had bleeds in my lungs a month out from the event, other little injuries. Like, I just kept making the decision that, nah, keep moving forward, keep moving forward. And it's something so powerful about it. And that's why I love hearing stories like yours. I love sharing mine and... You know, I hang the, the shoes on the wall that I ran with on the day because it reminds me every day I come in here that, like, every day you're going to face some sort of challenge. Yeah. That's life. But bloody hell, it makes the, the victory so much sweeter. Yeah. I reckon that's, that's like, a, a, a beautiful thing to go through, hey. And oh. like I said, it's, it's that preparation. Yeah, it might look like the five months or whatever it is, but that's a, a lifetime of, you know building the mental strength to be able to do that like your character usually is what works you through those things mm, I, I agree one of the big things that I, I definitely resonate with with what you said there is that people don't want to fail and are afraid of doing that stuff because of, of failure and for me where failure was such a roadblock in in helping me progress in my recovery I started looking at it as like okay well, failure is actually not a a bad thing like failure is something that you know we'll all go through at some stage yeah it can be embarrassing or whatever but as a lot of people say like you can learn from failure like you can learn Definitely. a lot that's why for for me the 100k walk that i did i yeah a big part of it was the the physical feat and and being able to get through that like i my itb went with like 30ks to go so like stairs and hills were just agony after that yeah. but what I really wanted to do was get to that point of failure where your brain 
where you, your body's given up and your brain's telling you to stop and seeing if you can get to that and push through it because I think Definitely. it's a big part of going like anyone who's been through a serious thing in life where you know sometimes you you are presented like uh, for my story like I, I had the option I could have taken the life that I had not worked on things and, and just kind of been playing with the cards I was dealt which probably like that that's the easy way or you can work hard if you fail at that then well yeah you've got that other thing you can fall back on but you don't know unless you actually go down that path which I think is a, a big thing like failure yeah it's terrifying and, and something that I've battled with for a long time but I think to actually face that and, and overcome it, it it's it can only be a good thing can only be a good thing it can only help you grow it can only help you become stronger but the bad thing that happened to me was i didn't really get as close to that point as failure in that 100k walk as what i thought i would so then you start thinking well what do i do now (laughs) so that's the thing isn't it it's uh, it's that challenge you know the thing that i guess the thing that's present for me when we talk about this now is for anyone listening or watching this like you don't have to be bitten by a shark or have cystic fibrosis to be okay with experiencing failure i think it's you know if you if you're really sitting there right now and assessing your life and assessing the decisions that you make and you've not come across any form of failure maybe it's time to reassess whether you're challenging yourself enough because i know for me you know in 2020 my failures come more so financially career-based where you know maybe plans or hopes and dreams that i had weren't quite realized to their full potential and that's something that I had to sit down and, and address at the beginning of this year and set some plans and motions in place for the year ahead. But I look back on last year and I think far out, I'd, whilst I progressed really nicely and I, I challenged myself, I didn't fail throughout the course of that. So I thought, did I push myself hard enough? Yeah. So, you know, for me going into the marathon this year on October 16th, it's, okay, let's, let's set some goals around times. Let's set some goals around things that will will push you to be a little bit more challenged. Yeah. Potentially come really close to failure and see if you come out the other side. And, yeah. and like you said, I don't think it's something that should be negative. I think there should be a positive relationship with the ability to test yourself. Like, if you think about it, I know in the Illawarra, a lot of us support rugby league or whether it's surfing or whatever, you know, 15 teams fail at winning the competition yeah, every year. Every One year. succeeds. <laughs> yeah. And the crazy thing is that when you succeed it's really, really hard to succeed again the year after because that feeling of comfort, that idea of not chasing something can allow you to get a little bit complacent. So I think we all need to be challenged in some way, shape or form in our lives and I think it's a very healthy part of being a human being. So continue to challenge yourself. Find something, whether it be small, whether it be something you work the year towards or whether it's something you work a month or a week towards before you try and have a go key is just have a go right yeah 100 percent. and like I, I i had a really good chat with you just before we started the podcast about sort of what doing this has meant to you like being able to you know back yourself and go into it and and make this your thing a big part of, of that and and i asked you you know do you have a plan did you kind of evaluate what you're doing i think that's something that a lot of people should should do as well because once you do evaluate your life, the, the thing that people should do regularly is assess what your values are, yeah. like what you actually care about, whether it's in your professional life or your personal life. I, I never really did that until recently. Like this has been a recent thing for me of, of actually evaluating what my, my, 
principles are, like what I want to live by. And yeah. there's a couple key things that once you actually figure out what care what you care about, then the plan or like the pathway you take from that is is the journey. And kind of you, you put that into, you know, a lot of people use the word the process. Yeah. Um, and, and kind of trusting the process. The, the process is all well and good for a lot of people. Like it gives you structure, it gives you something that you're working at so you, you can get to this, this final goal. The problem I have with the process is it makes you feel like you... You know, you don't necessarily have to put anything in because you, you've set up this framework that's going to help you succeed. And yeah. sometimes people forget about the hard work. Yeah, I agree. The, the process, it can help you get to your final goal, but it's the same thing. Do you want to just get to your final goal or do you want to go further than that? Do you want to actually, you know, make an impact or make a difference? Because if, you, if you, your core values are, you know, something that are, are very meaningful and, and I'll share mine now, like a, a big thing for me is being able to motivate people through my story. It's the work I do in the mental health space. It's around helping other people realize that they might have bigger dreams, bigger aspirations than what they're they're doing now, like helping them make the most out of their life. It's about my friendships, my relationships, being able to learn, being able to grow. That's what I care about. And what I do on a daily basis hopefully works towards each one of those. You can't tick Mm. off every one of those every single day, but you can work out a process where maybe in five years time you can be doing all those as a way of life and i think yeah i i, I put those things together and i was like okay okay this is this is what i want to do but you know i might not be able to do those to the fullest and it's pretty easy to get sidetracked from the process you know if you've been doing it for yeah. a long time especially if you're looking five years ahead but if you look at you know your your key principles your 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 vision what you actually want to work towards if you acknowledge that every single day and know your why like when you get out of bed that helps you with the hard work that you're going to put in so you can actually make progress towards that every day and and reach it and and actually you know you said it might be setting that that time goal on a marathon or you know maybe trying to run further than a marathon whatever it is but yeah if if your goal is to inspire people who've you know maybe in a hospital bed as you said with with your condition or, or any condition being told they can't do anything running a marathon is is something that can definitely prove it but it's like I want to prove to kids that, you know, it's not only what you might not expect, but there's more than that. Like, it's limitless potential. 100%. How good's life? Oh, man. <laughs> it's how good's life. You know, I was running solo this morning and I decided to, I probably got a little bit comfortable. We talk about getting comfortable. The first two months of this year, I was telling myself that, you know, you're just settling in, you're building some new habits, you're running again, you're doing that stuff, but you're not running that far, you're just doing it more consistently. I thought, nah, you're just being lazy. (laughs) And so I sort of checked myself on about five weeks after my 25th birthday and I thought, what a way to ring it in than to run 25Ks a day or two just beforehand and and remind myself how it feels to be getting some good Ks under the legs. So I went out today in search of my first long run Wednesday in a little while and going to bring it back with some consistency and start to to challenge myself and and to push myself again because I enjoy that feeling. But... What I was getting at before I got sidetracked there was running this morning by myself solo along the water. I decided to run from Taraji Beach out to Bulai Beach and back. And I was running and the first half of the run was actually a little bit tough. My legs felt a bit tired and dead and I was like, far out, I'm going to have to... But I know now, like from experience, you just work through that and then you find the back half. And right at the turning point, I got to the top of the hill. If if you know the Illawarra, you'd know Bulai. And I got to the top of the hill at Bulai. Um, where Point Street ends. And I looked down, and there's a few people gathered just watching the sunrise over the edge of this little cliff. And 
And I just thought, far out, how good's life, hey? Yeah. Like, every day that sun rises, it's a new day, it's a new opportunity to go after something you want. Like you said, and I love what you said there before, ask yourself what impact you want to have in the world. And, you know, Brett, like sitting here today and talking to you, your story has impact on me and I know it will have impact on so many people. And I just love to hear people who are grabbing life, you know, and grabbing the bull by the horns and and sort of leading their direction and, and taking charge of their life because it is so easy to forget. You hear it all the time. You know, how often do you hear that you have one life? Make the most of it. Yeah. But how often do you do anything about it? And I feel like there's a lot of people, myself included, for, for some point in time who spent their days existing but not truly as Matthew McConaughey and we spoke yeah. about him before was saying, living. Yeah. Um, so get after it just find the things in life that give you impact and meaning and and make you feel like you're you're striving for bigger things I think that's the key isn't it that is that's that's perfect and a big part of that is you don't have to go through something life-changing like almost dying or or having you know a debilitating illness or go through something where where you lose you know something that's important to you Mm. for you to realize that like you can you can work at all that stuff now like it's for a lot of people it's application like definitely act- actually doing it like set yourself some goals work out what what matters to you and wake up every day look at the sunrise and say today's another day i can try and achieve that 100 percent. i was going to ask you for a few closing words of wisdom but bloody hell there's already been a few here today <laughs> i guess the one question i'll ask you is let's say none of this happened Let's say none of this happened. We shift backwards three years ago, was it? Uh, close. It's five at the end of this month. Fire out. That's scary. Time goes. <laughs> five years ago to that moment, you just decide not to paddle out that day. Life would obviously be very different. But I think in many ways, whilst you've been challenged for it, you're grateful for it. The blessing it's provided, the opportunity it's given you to, like you said, share your, your story and have impact and, and understand the true meaning and the power of it. Is there anything you wish you could tell yourself of, I guess, that, that younger age, that many years ago, maybe even just to tell the man before he paddled out that day what he needed to know for all the challenges he'd face in the, in the five years following? Sometimes I think it's best not knowing. Like I think that's kind of the, the beauty of, of life is that you, you might not know what is around the corner. And I think if I decided not to paddle out that day, I think, you know, as... as corny as it might sound I, th- I do think that things like that do happen for a reason like yeah. to, to give you a greater purpose whatever it is I think something would have chased me down and got me to realize that yeah it's it's not it is just like we said this this one life and you need to make the most of it and I think a, a big part of that it does come through our experiences but I think the un- the not knowing is is something that I, I probably wouldn't tell myself anything say enjoy every day that's in front of you yeah because you never know what could happen like that's that's probably the biggest thing that that i've learned and you can't plan like you can't you can't plan for a lot of things in life so have have your goals work towards those and if things change then reassess and you you always find something new something something different something maybe even more important to work at brett canellan you're destined to do big things in this world i'm I'm honestly really excited to follow your journey and and one thing I take a lot of pride in is I love to know that the people that come on this podcast have powerful, true and very authentic stories. And I can say that with every ounce of confidence, yours is one of those. And it's been an absolute privilege to sit here and to share that. 
but also I'm excited to be a part of the journey moving forward to see what you accomplish and, and to see how you continue to challenge yourself and change lives. Yeah, thank you. And I'll, I'll definitely be looking forward to seeing how you go with the marathon later in, in the year. Mate, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's exciting. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks, brother. Thank you. Thank you.